The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we'll review the away win at RSL. We're also going to preview the upcoming CCL match against Violette. And we're also very happy to be joined by Mo Edu, U.S. soccer legend, to preview the upcoming game at Houston Dynamo. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And, and when you say we, you mean you. And I was at Florida. That's right. At the rodeo tonight. So I... <laughs> I listen every Tuesday morning and I will find out like what UMO talked about at the exact same time that every other listener does. So that it'll be, I'm sure it'll be great. You know, no, you want to know where I was while you were at a flow ride, a concert? Yes, I do. I was at a, a South by Southwest event focused on the fashion industry. Well, you see, it seems very, <laughs> seems very landed Hey, you're fashionable. It's fine. I don't know. I don't know if you're like a high fashion, but you, no, you know, I was very out of fashionable place. boy. Oh, I yeah. was very out of place at this place. It was uh, my my wife's organization was hoping was was hosting it, and she also does not work in fashion, but works in like textiles. And so uh, I was just trying to be like charming room filler and like just talking to people who didn't have people to talk to for a while, and then had to rush home and come come talk to Moedu, which was a lot of fun. But. But we had we had two very different nights, I'm guessing. <laughs> I think I think so. And you know, when we talked to Keith Costigan last week, we mentioned the fact that this was going to be the first weekend that Austin was on the road, and so we were going to have the chance to consume some Apple TV content in a way that we had not had before. I didn't really think about this. It was also the first weekend of South by Southwest, and the team was doing a lot of things. So I think you and I each had a very different game watching experience on Saturday. So you were at the. The club, I don't even know what it was called, but like the club official watch party, whatever that was. Uh, talk like about the that. Apple TV MLS season pass experience or something like that. But yeah, it was still in a way I'd never witnessed it before, but not in a way I'll probably ever witness it again because it was in the ACL live theater, like the Moody theater filled with people, uh, like all three decks <laughs> were full of people and all watching a soccer game on three big screens, which was a really cool atmosphere. I think like had it been a bad game for Austin, I think it could have been pretty dour in there, but because of the, like we won, but also the way we won with those two banger goals, like it ended up being a lot of fun and a really cool environment to be there. Uh, but you, you actually were home and got to watch a lot of the Apple TV experience. So, like what was, what was your take on all of that? Hey. I did. I did. It was from most of my game experience being watching ESPN Plus on Saturdays with what we've talked about, or like often like local baseball announcers, you know, who have nothing to do. <laughs> and going from that to like seeing like an actual well produced, you know, national broadcast, I mean, the quality of the video, the quality of the announcing, okay, it was, it was very, very different. Um, I think I managed to watch three matches so at charlotte atlanta watch vancouver and dallas then i watched austin and then i watched um what's the late game uh portland st louis like i watched four matches all day um i caught the uh the uh wrap-up show the 360 show was really like a really good 31 minute produced overview of the the league like it was it was excellent content i, I can't get over andrew Weeby in a suit even if he's like wearing sneakers while he's doing it, but it still seems very strange. But like, 
I mean, it was it was really well done. I, I'm I'm excited about the quality of that package. Like having the chance to like sit back and watch it all day. I watched the what's the, the like the whip around show thing like mm-hmm. I, MLS 360. I think MLS 360. It. Yeah, I did not love that because I don't know, it moved around too much for me. I know that's like a way a lot of people like to watch games yeah. to see the goals and see the goal chances, but for me, mostly I'm like, oh well, it seems like the Cincinnati game is one that's worth watching, so I'm just gonna flip to that, like and not watch two minutes of that and then watch it go on to something else. It was like a good to lead up to another show, but I don't know if that's my favorite way to like watch a match. Yeah. I, I kind of think I might be the same way once I get to actually watch a lot of it, but we still have that, that review show at the end of the night to actually like catch up on everything. So you can still like kind of see all the highlights uh, and be able to watch a whole game before. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good so far. Hopefully it gets even better as time goes on, but yeah, much better than the ESPN plus. Yeah. <laughs> Experience. Absolutely, like muddy, <laughs> muddy video and whatever. It's like, and I somehow managed to pick up the. Did you get the scarf from the the uh, the event? The MLS no, season pass scarf. I didn't even want it. <laughs> it's super generic. I, I I happened to walk past the MLS thing the next day, and they were handing them out in line. I just met some of those various people who were standing in front of the line, and I picked it up and I brought it home. My wife's like, "That is the most like." bland looking scarf I've ever seen. It's and very I, Rob Lowe NFL hat. Yeah. I looked at it and I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so it's all sitting on the bed and we'll probably not make the scarf wall. <laughs> all right. We should get into the news. We have a lot to it. talk about. Uh, plus a really great interview with Mo Edu. So let's start off with the Violet drama. So Austin went to the Dominican Republic and lost three nil to Violet AC. The return leg is the day this show comes out, Tuesday, March 14th. So some of you may be listening to this after the game. Hopefully we don't make any We're not going to make any statements. bold predictions. Yeah. We're not gonna, we're not, we're, <laughs> there, that's what we talked about in the pre-show. There are no definitive statements about what's going to happen in any way for this match. But there's a lot of stuff going on around this game that is definitely worth talking about either way. So it sounds like based on... Um, Things that I've I've been told by sources, things that Jorge Giralde has been reporting, things that have been coming out from what is what is that journalist in Haiti? Caleb Jafde Pierre, I think is his name. He's been reporting some stuff about it as well. But what we know so far is that it sounds like there's anywhere from 10 to 12 Violette players who have been granted visas and are traveling to the US. Uh, the source that I was in contact with told me that they would be registering or had already registered some former pro players that were already based in the U S. And so I know there's been some questions about like, are they able to just register random people? I think the answer is no, but I think these guys were already on the roster. So if you look at the names, there's, I think there's three or four names announced today. And it sounds like some of them are like playing for USL teams here, like maybe played for Violet at some point. Um, yeah, so I think just to clarify that, that so Violet could register 33 players going into the tournament. It basically is their full roster. And they had 23, I think, like they could have chosen from playing against Austin. So these these players seem to come from among the other 10. Like, right. probably, probably with some expectation that this kind of thing might happen. And they needed a little bit of a backup to like pull themselves out of the fire if what ultimately turned out turned out that way yeah like they kind of knew that this this mess was coming they knew that they were going to have trouble getting visas to come into the u.s so they threw these guys on that roster early 
as a backup plan and they ended up needing them. So uh, it seems like there's going to be uh, at least a few guys just meeting them in Austin and maybe getting a training session with them and having not really played competitive soccer in, in some amount of time. So um, it, I get into this with, with Mo a little bit in the interview later, but it's, it's like a really unfortunate set of circumstances. It's not the way that Austin fans or Austin players want to go through, but it is like the best of a, of many bad options where it seems like the game is going to happen um, based on so, like just like piecing together reporting. And there's like some uh, roster graphic leaked. I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but it seems like we have like maybe around 16 players confirmed technically CC like, CONCACAF requires a team to carry 18 players on a game day roster. I don't know if they're still trying to fill in those other two spots or if CONCACAF gave them an exception. We have no idea what's going on. We still believe this game is going to happen. Um, do we want to talk about like what needs to happen for the game now? What needs to happen like for it to like the outcome or for it? To, yeah, like, for the outcome. Like what? Yeah, the, let's do that. Let's okay. Do that. So be, the way we talked about this last week, but essentially. It's the total amount of goals will decide who goes through to the next round. If it's ends up tied on the amount of goals, the first tiebreaker is away goals. And so Austin can win this game 3-0. Uh, there is no extra time in that case. And so if, if Austin wins 3-0 in Austin on Tuesday night, it will go straight to penalty kicks. The winner of penalty kicks moves on to the next round. If Violette scores one goal, then that means Austin would then need to score five goals because uh, a four to one victory, it would end up four, four on the aggregate, but Violette wins on the tiebreaker because they scored an away goal and we did not. And so Austin can win four nil and advance. If Violette scores one goal, Austin need to win at least five, one to be able to advance. And so the point is, Austin is going to come out guns blazing, trying to score a lot of goals in this game um, because I, I don't think they'll be trying to play it safe at all. And as far as like a starting lineup goes, I would expect to see the best available 11, right? Yeah, I would think so too. Cause Austin's not Austin's playing at home. Uh, they're not playing again until Saturday. And that game on the weekend is just in Houston. So there's like no real, reason to to rest anybody and they kind of have to go for it uh for sure because like okay among the possible maybe this is not the time for this yet but like among the possible outcomes of this game i think i guess do you think that austin winning by forfeit and moving on would have been more is more embarrassing than just like losing on aggregate goals hmm what is the worst? Like, I feel like that was the worst possible outcome. I think like that was the general sentiment among the Austin FC fan base. It's like winning by forfeit because they couldn't field a roster after losing that match away is like the worst possible. I guess if Austin loses three nil in Austin against Violet, that's probably the worst yeah. possible opportunity. I think it but depends. It, it depends on yeah. how that aggregate happens. If it's four one, if it's four, yeah, like if it's four yeah. one and they go through <laughs> on away goals, like that is better than having one by forfeit. So there's still a lot of uh, still a lot of factors, but. I don't know. Like they Austin painted themselves in a corner for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think everybody's going to be happy that this game is happening. And then at this, at that point, it's still unfortunate the way it's going to happen regardless of the outcome. But 
Uh, it's better than the game not happening in Austin having to walk on to the second round with their tails tucked between their legs. Like it, that's not ideal there. But as far as lineup goes, like Wolf had media availability today. He he was talking about the first game about them needing to be sensitive to player health, and so like saying Driusi didn't really respond to playing on turf well last year. That playing in Charlotte kind of affected him for a long time. And so didn't want to play him there. Alex ring has had knee problems in the past. Didn't want to play him on turf there. Vicenin was uh, still kind of recovering from the Montreal game. Didn't want to risk him there. Danny Pereira is not allowed to go out of the country. And so there's, I think we like, we recorded the, our reaction to the first leg the night of, and didn't really get to see fan reaction. There's still a lot of people like criticizing the team that was put out that night. I don't think the 11 that was put out was the problem, how they performed and kind of a lot of other surrounding circumstances ended up being problems, but those 11 players should have won that game. Like they're all good enough to do that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I think that was, that was our instant take too. If I remember right from last week was like, yeah, this is not the first choice lineup, but it was still a decent NLS lineup that should have been able to win that match. And and it wasn't just Wolf saying like, oh, I don't respect these guys. It's like, there are reasons why some of these guys did not travel and play in that game. And it's about, uh, it's about the long term. It's about rotating for this season. Like we've talked about this many times, but this is what it looks like. Like with so many games and so many competitions this season, this is what it looks like. You're going to have to take some chances like this and maybe put out a lineup that you know is not the best available to win that game, but thinking ahead to the next two, three, four, 10, 15 games and like, okay, it's maybe not the best 11 to win this game, but we have to think about the long term because there's so many games coming up that if, yeah, we go and play Drewsi on turf after a four hour flight and then he comes back and has to play at elevation in RSL five days later that's bad for Austin in the long run. And these are these decisions that, that Josh Wolf and the, and Dave Tinney and his high performance staff are having to make right now. And it's, it's not as simple as, okay, they disrespected Violet, like maybe a little bit, but that's, that's not the full picture. You have to think about all of it, but this home game coming back from, it is short rest from RSL, but we have quite a few days rest before going to Houston, not a super long trip to Houston, I think like there will be checking player health and like kind of testing those metrics. If there's a player that is not fit enough to go, not healthy enough to go, maybe you you rest them. Because again, thinking the long term, the whole MLS season, the playoffs, all the other competitions, you might still be cautious with a guy who's like uh, at risk of being injured in a game if you push him a little too hard. Aside from that, I think you see the best 11 coming into this game. So maybe we see... Uh, a guy like Rigoni who had gone a lot of minutes. Um, maybe you see Finley start in place of him or something like that, but I I think it's going to be minimum rotation. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's where like the, the positions where Austin has some depth, like Finley, like Maxi Ruti, like Diego Fagundes, who didn't play a lot. Like that's where you can put those guys back in and it's not really a rotated lineup. Um, I don't know that we know a lot about Violette's lineup. Do you want to cover who who we think might not play or might not be in the country based upon who Violet started last week, knowing that we don't really know anything. Yeah. So I, I think the, like we don't need to name everyone cause we're not even sure about all of it, but um, 
Roberto Baggio Liuma, is that his name? The It's the winger who assisted the first two goals. He was one of the players not able to get in the country, so he will not be there. The striker who scored the first two goals, on the other hand, will be here. He is he is available to play. Um, Stevenson Judy, who I think is one of their higher prospects, did not play in that first game, will also not be here for this game. I think there's, based on reporting by Jorge Iturralde, there's uh, two or three or four other guys who started in that game or played in that other game who will not be here in Austin. So it, it sounds like it's going to be like maybe a starting 11 comprised of guys who were at that game in Dominican Republic, either starting or on the bench, plus another handful of guys just to fill out the bench who maybe haven't played a real game in several months. And when they did, it was um, at a lower level than MLS. So um, it, the stage is set for Austin to be able to like pull up, pull off this upset and and go through to this next round. So it's still going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be tough, but it's, it's possible. It's very, very possible for them to do it. Yeah, very possible. But after last week, I don't think we want to read too much. We do not want to assume anything about anything. I yeah. don't think. All right. Should we move on to a couple of other pieces of Austin FC news before we get into our game review? Yeah, let's do it. And I think the the most this came out today, the independent investigation into the Burhalter Reina feud in the nineteen ninety two domestic violence incident has been released. Mostly co- corroborates everything that's been reported while providing several specific examples of what going on was what was going on behind the scenes, which so I don't think we were surprised by anything in it. I think like the high level takeaway is that like everybody looks bad other than Gio Reyna, who's like the subject of all this, but had, like, I, I felt like he was the one person who was maybe exonerated in this report. Like he didn't have anything to do with it. Right. It was just had, it was sort of surrounded by this crisis. I don't know. What, what were the, what did you take away from it? Other than like, everybody's kind of terrible and should probably not have their job anymore. Yeah. I think like my bigger picture take on it is that in the, like the most heated era of these conversations people were trying to connect these things a little too much and it's really like three separate situations where you have the event between greg burhalter and his then girlfriend now wife when they were teenagers you have Gio Reyna being told he's not going to be a starter in the world cup and not reacting very well to that and then you have Claudio Reyna and Danielle Reyna's response to that. And a lot of people were like using one to justify the other, to justify the other. And it, you really do have to separate them all because they're all very, they, although they're interconnected now, they're very separate instances and you need to judge them all separately. Um, but as far as like Austin FC focused, I think after the initial stuff came out, it kind of sounded like it was mostly just Danielle Reyna Uh, Maybe it didn't go as far as a lot of people reporting. And so I think a lot of people in Austin were kind of just like, wait and see. Like, I think I said on the show, like, from what we know now, this is just going to end up being an embarrassing thing for Claudio Urena. Maybe loses him this job, but probably doesn't ruin his career long term. Um, But I said, like, if more information comes out that's more damning, it could be disastrous for his career and for his reputation. And I think that is what we have now. Uh, from all the stuff that came out from not only during this instance, but from, from instances past over many, many years of things that have come out about what he's said to U.S. soccer staff, to other staff regarding games that his, his kids have played in. 
he comes out looking really, really bad. And I think um, most Austin fans, rightfully so, will, will probably not want him associated with the club anymore. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all if that's the, that's the take. I'll, I'll just like read both those. Like the, the, the Claudio comment, I think, so there's two remarkable things for me. And one was because like, I'm just petty and love petty things. And one because like, one is substantial. And I think the substantial one is the one from Claudio, who in an email in 2018 complained about a female referee in a match Geo played in. In all honesty, can we get real and have male refs for a game like this? It's embarrassing, guys. What are we trying to prove? A game like this deserves better attention, which Oof. I think leaves everybody feeling very icky and yeah. not supportive. And, you know, given situations around allegations in New York and Austin, like this just kind of feeds into people not feeling good about it. Yeah, absolutely. And then my favorite comment, probably in the history of American sports, is Danielle Reyna saying to an unnamed year soccer employee, once this tournament is over, I can make one phone call and give one interview. And his, his being Greg Berhalter's cool sneakers and bounce passes will be gone. <laughs> I think was just like <laughs> the absolutely most childish thing somebody could say. And I love it. And I wish we got more of these comments leaked to us. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Austin FC handles this. I think the, the phrase I saw around it in like earlier on was the, they quiet fired Claudio Reyna. I, th I think fans are going to be calling for more than that at this like point. Real so yeah, at this point I agree. It's going to be interesting to see if, if they will come out and say anything or if they're going to try to ignore it and hope it goes away. But um, yeah, I, I think most people will be calling for them to actively say something and, and separate themselves from the Reynas at this point. I think so. So it's one more piece of news we got before we get into the match and we can get through this real quick, but we learned when the league's cup group stage games are going to be out. So league's cup again, there's a tournament in I think, July and August uh, where basically Liga Amekis and MLS will put their seasons on hold, play this tournament. Austin's going to be hosting three matches. Uh, those matches are on July 21st, 25th and 29th, which will remind y'all when that time comes. Uh, and I think that probably just for fans, the thing to note is that season ticket holders will get free tickets to those matches. And then once advanced to knockout stage, which we hope Austin will make, then it kind of works like season tickets where you'll have first rider refusal on your own tickets if you want them, but you will have to pay extra for them. All right. Any other news before we jump into the uh, RSL review? Mm -hmm. I mean, no, I feel like there's, there's interesting enough stuff going on between RSL and between this uh, Maurice do interview that we should probably spend time on that. All right, well, let's, uh, let's, before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with the RSL recap and then move on to that interview with Moe Du. So hang tight. We'll be right back with more Muntar Soccer. Muntar Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. Moon Tower Soccer is also brought to you by Covert Auto Group. Covert Auto Group has been meeting the needs of local car buyers for 114 years because of their service, financial expertise, and support after the sale. In addition to supporting car buyers, Covert's an important part of the soccer community. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, be sure to check out CovertAuto.com. 
Moon Tower Soccer is also brought to you by Sage Wilson Realty. We'll be doing some more ticket giveaways here in the very near future, and this is made possible by Sage Wilson Realty. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Realty. You can find them online at sagewilson.com. All right, we are back and we're going to jump into our recap and analysis of Austin's 2-1 away win at RSL. So they're going to Salt Lake on short rest after, I guess, most of the players short rest after the away trip to the Dominican Republic. Going to RSL is a tough thing to do in this league, especially mostly because of the altitude, but also because of the way this team plays. They're fighters. They will beat you up. And it's kind of what happened in this game. Austin able to to kind of grind it out and and stick with that win. They got two first half goals from Owen Wolf and John Gallagher. Um, both of those guys ended up making the team of the week, right? The MLS team of the week. Yeah, they did. So uh, Wolf was on the first team, Gallagher on the second team, uh, and then the RSL goal was from our our guy Justin Glad. I feel like among the players who annoy me. <laughs> in the league at this point in time. He's pretty high on the list, right? It's like, I think it was his second goal this year. I think it's his, at least his second goal against Austin. Uh, so, yeah, he got he got, he got got one back that knotted it up before Owen Wolf scored at 33... At, before number 33, he scored at 33 minutes to make it 2-1. And then there were no goals in the second half, although it seemed like there were a lot of nervy opportunities, both good and bad. Yeah, yeah, both ends. So, um, the John Gallagher goal, I don't have this time written down. Was it... What, was it the ninth minute? It was the ninth minute. Yep. Okay. So this one comes from a, I believe it was a 19 pass sequence. Um, this, this is the kind of goal, like when, when fans get annoyed about like how, how slow movement is, why you pass it backwards sometimes. Like this is what Josh Wolf wants to happen is to move it enough to, to like, get to where you want to go on the pitch. And yeah, the end of it was John Gallagher carrying the ball forward and just hitting an absolute banger, but that's part of it sometimes, but just watching, going back and watching kind of the buildup. I think you could argue that maybe the buildup in that final goal were not entirely connected, but I think it is kind of a good, even just the first half of it is kind of a good Testament of how on the same page, the, kind of those back five players are like Stuver, the back three and Danny prayer and Owen Wolf are how well they're doing it, kind of moving around, creating space, passing the ball, breaking through the press and getting the ball upfield. And it ends up with uh, a ball between lines. I think Owen Wolf ends up kind of carrying the ball, making a nice little cut, finding Gallagher out wide Gallagher, cuts inside, drives, and then unleashes one with his left foot, which is not his strong foot. And uh, it it would have been excellent had it just gone straight in, but it's always extra satisfying when the ball hits the post and goes down yeah. the goal like that. Just like, I think, I think there's something satisfying about the, like the violence of that contact before it goes in. Yeah. And the game call was like, it hits the woodwork. And I'm like, but I also think it's over the line in the back of the net, you know, like it took a second before I think the <laughs> Keith process that it was in, it was in the, in the net, but yeah, it was, it was quite a goal. Um, I mean, it's just, I mean, you talked about the buildup, but like the individual effort was impressive. Like every move he made was the right move. Yeah. When John he Gallagher left, was... when he went right, when he decided to take the shot, like it was just, it's like he was seeing the game in a different way. Yeah. And uh, aside from this, 
this goal, like John Gallagher is really good in this game. Um, just really dynamic in the attack. I, th- I think we've said this before, just like what he lacks in like maybe that like super high end refined technical ability. He makes up for an intelligence ability to go kind of both ways on both feet and just hustle. Just the guy works yeah. so hard. There's and a couple so, times I was going to say there's a couple times, like one early in the game and one like 90 something minutes in where he just like dropped his head and sprinted and was in the exact right place. You yeah. know, it was just like, just the, I don't know if he has like a lot of top line speed, but you I mean, he was just like, just working so hard. Yeah. And, and yeah, just that the second half, we'll get into this a bit more, but Austin got pinned back for big chunks of the second half and Gallagher was still getting up high attacking and then getting back and defending and being able to hustle and be in the right spot so often. So I, I think Owen Wolf ended up getting the man in the match and the game ball in this game. I think you could have given it to a few guys, including John Gallagher, because he was really, really good. Yeah, yeah, they both they both were. And like, did you so you were at the watch party? Was was there howling when Owen Wolf scored the second goal? I was put- I was disappointed because I feel like Chris Wellhausen is one of the guys who's like advocated for the howling. I was standing close to him and I was trying to howl and like he wouldn't join it. <laughs> oh really? Like he didn't realize he didn't get it. And so I was pretty annoyed at him at that point. But there was not enough howling. If there was howling, it wasn't enough for me to hear it in okay. the whole the whole space. There was enough howling at my house that I was scared about children that they didn't know what was going on. So that's that's how the howling went in my house. Uh so the second goal comes in the thirty-third minute by number thirty-three, Owen Wolf. And so this one is like Owen did a really good job several times of like receiving between lines, turning like turning on the half turn and then driving at that back line. And this is what happens on this one. So receives it, turns, drives. Nobody steps to him. Nobody steps to him. Nobody steps to him. And he's kind of he's looking to distribute for most of this drive. He wants to play it out wide and like nothing opens up. He's not able to find it. But also nobody ever steps. And so I think like partially because he's like using his eyes, using his body language to telegraph a pass and it never comes. And then he's like, no look strikes it and catches McMath off guard and, and hits it into, into the goal. But I, I like, I think you could say maybe McMath could have done a little better, but I think because of Owen's body language and kind of the quickness that he was able to strike it with and not giving any eyes towards the goal at all, that like, it's not entirely on McMath. I think Owen deserves some credit for that one too. Yeah, he yeah he did, and I, I think him having the boldness to take that opportunity and like and take that shot where he even even with nobody stepping to him, I feel like he would have made a pass like in past seasons uh, shows his maturity and like at, and like at eighteen, right? So he so he ended up with what he ended up with a goal and an assist on the night. Is that right? Yeah, it's um he he had the assist on the Gallagher goal on the Gallagher goal. Yeah, Gallagher carries it fifteen yards and then sure. shoots. But it was it was still a good pass this, yeah, to create the, the space and make the, it was like it's like it's a good pass. It's it's not necessarily assist worthy, but it was a good pass. It was a good play by Owen. Uh, I, I sorry I skipped over the the RSL goal in the timeline here, but as you said earlier, Justin Glad in the twenty second minute, it was I think from a corner and got recycled. Um, Austin was not fast enough to close down the recycled ball. I think there was some confusion on who was going to cover who, and they didn't get out fast enough, but Brody ends up with the ball. He's a good crosser of the ball, uh, puts it into the box. 
it floats really far side back post to Crylock, and he kind of nods it back into the six. And I think Ring and Driussi were kind of in that area, and they weren't fast enough to react to that that ball back into the box. And Glad just kind of gets a foot on it and pokes it past Stuver. So, um, just like a couple of moments there, we we talked about this a lot last year, where it's like not it's not a goal where there's one guy at fault that it went in. It's like it just wasn't good enough all across the board. And like this guy could have done ten percent of it. This guy could have done ten percent of it. This guy could have done ten percent of it, and it would have stopped the goal. Yeah. And luckily, I mean, it didn't turn out to hurt um, Austin because Austin had the, the fall and go with Owen Wolf. But uh, do you think that's... Is there some deficit? I mean, I love Alex Ring, but he is not a tall center back. Like, do yeah. you think in some way, like if Julio's in there and just like he's got a bigger body than anybody else we have, I think. Maybe the, probably even bigger than Vison, or at least knows how to use it better than defensively than Vison it has right now. Like, is that a different outcome out of that like I feel, like I feel like that's a place where we're maybe missing julio i i think there are there maybe have been some moments and will definitely be more moments where that that point will be true but i think in in this goal particularly and in this game i don't know that it was entirely true because that goal so they find crylock far post backside and i think kolmanich was the one marking him and they were both moving away from goal. And I, I thought Kolmanich did a decent enough job of like staying close to him. And just the way the ball was played, the way Krylock was moving, it was an awkward space to, to mark anyway. So I don't know that there's a lot of blame there. I think more of the blame is, is pressuring that initial cross in the first place, which was a little late. And then after that, the ball's on the ground. And so like height and size doesn't do a lot. It's more about the quickness of getting there and like and putting pressure on Glad before he gets a foot on that ball. And so I don't know that height fixes that one. Um, I think it's a good point for future though. Like I, I think in this game where there's a lot of just like transition fires that needed putting out, Alex ring was probably better suited for this game, but in a game that, that pressures us a little bit more like that height might, might come into, into question at some point. Yeah. And Alex, and Alex ring had a really good game too. And I think just overall, if you want to talk about, you mentioned the, the sort of the back three, like the midfield, just defensive and defensive shape works so well together overall throughout the night. Um, do you want to go into this, just sort of the way that Austin attacked and it has attacked now for several games um, and what that looks like? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's the same shape that we've seen the last couple of games. We've seen mirror images of it, but the idea is one fullback will become a winger and be join like a front three, one fullback will join the back three. Uh, it, this was kind of the same idea as what we saw against Montreal in that second game. So John Gallagher was the right back, but would essentially become a right winger in the attack. Kolmanich joined the back three and was kind of like left, left fullback, left center back. And then Brad Stuver actually becomes the left center back at times and build up and will kind of create a back four with those guys in the build up. Sometimes, Danny Pereira would drop in and Kolmanich would push up. So there's kind of a little bit of rotation there, but that's the general shape. And then you've got, you had Owen Wolf and Danny Pereira as the deeper two midfielders. And then um, Emiliano Rigoni and Drusi as the two attacking midfielders, Rigoni pinching in from that wing. And then this is kind of something new because Fagundes had played so many minutes the week before. It seems like 
I, I'm thinking that's why this is the, the reason. But Ethan Finley gets the start, and he plays on the left wing, which we haven't really seen from him before. But he was the wide guy kind of joining that front three, keeping the width, keeping uh, pressure on the back line on the left side, which I thought he did. Like he, It wasn't a standout performance, but I thought he did a solid job there and kind of did what he needed to do. Yeah, I agree. I thought I thought he looked pretty good too. It's you just you talked about the defensive mids shining, but they 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 shine both defensively and going forward, right? Like Owen picked up a goal and like Danny was just a menace all over the place and like we've talked about this when Danny's at his best, he's he can like beat people to dribble more than maybe anybody else on the on the team. Yeah, I I think both of these guys are beginning to understand exactly what their roles are and what they are capable of as individuals. So Danny Pereira, he is an elite ball carrier in this league. Like we've known that he was capable of it and he's growing even more into that, but he's also starting to look like a defensive midfielder, which is what he's been lacking in the last two seasons. And so it it seems like he has embraced that part. And it's, it's really exciting to see that he can, he can do both. Like he can be a defensive minded player, and still be an exciting attacking player like he has been. Um, Owen, he he had the most interceptions and the most tackles of any player on either team in this game. He uses athleticism to kind of cover ground, plays physically in duels, and will like go go up against a thirty five year old man and like can can stick it to him physically. And then speed wise, he's also still really good. So like. On that goal, I talked about him receiving it like between lines. And I think this is, this is something that he's done really well is finding space in between those lines, turning on the half turn. And like, I I think there's like a confidence to it where we talked about him a lot last year being like a little too conservative sometimes playing on the wing and maybe it's like playing out of position, but I think it's all, it's like it, it conjures images of like some type of like small animal like a a baby horse or something that's that's a newborn baby horse that like we know you're a very fast little animal but you're still like a little scared and you don't want to get too far away from your mom and it seems like some of these these like receiving the ball on the half turn turning and seeing the space it was owen like realizing like i am a majestic horse i can run really fast (laughs) i'm gonna do it right now and he just turned and went. And it was just like this dynamism that he has is like this game, like take the goal away. This is a breakout performance for Owen Wolf. The defensive ground he covered, the physicality he brings to the midfield, the ability to progress the ball and carry the ball forward with quickness and in a way that like really shakes defenses up. Like the guy, the guy looks good. Like I'm sure there's going to be some dips in form. He is still an 18 year old kid, like barely 18 years old. And so there's going to be some dips in form, but we got a glimpse on Saturday of like what this kid can be. And if we can get that 60, 70% of the time, like he's a locked in starter. He's very, very good. Yeah. Well, before we talk about some more goodness, I want to go back to you talking about Brad Sewer being part of the back three, like, he occasionally deeks a guy with a ball at his feet, and it is always very stressful. Like, how does <laughs> his? You're talking about like, his Cruyff turn. In this yes. Game. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just. I mean, it's it almost always works out, but it never makes me feel good in the moment. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was exciting, but it was scary. <laughs> yes, also. It was exciting. Yeah, Brad Stewart's actually been like really clean on the ball this year. Like, there's, I think that like even that moment, like he looked calm and in control and confident in what he was doing. So like, it was scary, but after it came off, it was like, oh no, he knew exactly That's what he was funny. doing. So his passing has been really clean. I think there's been a few passes that have like been too long and went out of bounds, but there have. I don't I can't think of any times when he's played a ball that led to danger against us in transition. I mean, if you're gonna make that mistake, it's like as a keeper, it's always better to play that ball too long, right? right. And play it out of bounds as opposed to playing it like shorter in a dangerous um situation. Like Leo Weissen continues to be sort of a revelation. I mean, he he had another really strong performance. For me, I don't know if you have any specific notes you wanted to uh share on him and other than maybe we're gonna be without him in a little bit and maybe how we deal with that. Yeah, this is gonna, probably around the, the Colorado match later in March. We, we'll probably spend some more time on that in a later show, but we will likely be without him for that Colorado game due to international duty. But yeah, I thought he was solid again. Uh, I thought Coleman ended up being good again. So in the second half, we came out like right after halftime. It's 2-1 at this point already. And RSL put a lot of pressure on us. And so... I think in the, at the end of the first half, it was pretty close to like 50-50 as far as possession goes. And then just counting the second half, it was something more like 67-33 in favor of RSL. So RSL dominated possession in that second half and put a lot of pressure on Austin. So I think it was like around the 60-some-odd 60, 60 minute uh, Wolf subs on Adam Lundqvist for Jean Kolmich. So Kolmich did, I thought he had a good game, but in a game where um, Gomez, their new signing, this young, that young winger, he was looking really dangerous in moments. And so I know in the past, Kolmanich has struggled with um, with staying strong late in games as far as his, his fitness goes. And then also, I think Lundqvist is probably just a stronger defender. So I really liked that sub at that moment, bringing on a stronger defender on that side that Gomez was playing on. Um, and then shortly after that, Nick Lima comes on for... Ethan Finley and moves to that right back. And then Gallagher goes to left wing. So overall they kind of shifted to more defensive personnel, but not necessarily more defensive in the mindset. I think a lot of it is like credit to ourselves for kind of pinning us back and just forcing us to boot, boot balls long, but Austin still was able to create chances in in that state of the game. And so if you look at like expected goals charts, as far as first half versus second half, Austin created quite a few chances in the second half, but it was more in like these transition moments, like bend, bend, but don't break defend for your life, but don't give up a goal. And then when you get the opportunity to push forward, go back, like push up and create a chance. And they were doing that. And so like, was it the most beautiful second half by Austin? Was it like the stereotypical, uh, like Austin keeping a lot of the ball and moving the ball through. No, it wasn't that, but they were still kind of sticking to their principles when they did have the ball and moving it well and getting forward and creating chances. And so like when you're going away to RSL, that's, that's, that's what you want from a team that's going to do well over the long, like the long stretch of a season is to be able to play that way when you have to and still get a result from it. So like, yeah, I, th I think this was a, a good performance from almost every player, if not all players, and then a, a well-managed match by Josh Wolf as well. Yeah, 
I think so. And, and Josh Wolf was wearing four layers and looked very <laughs> dashing while doing it. I couldn't keep up with all that. So I think almost everybody would agree with you on it being a good performance from almost every player. But I see, I've seen a lot of Jesse Sardes criticism oh, man. online okay. uh, over the last couple days and in the moment. Like a little bit of Rigoni too, but I, I don't feel like the Rigoni stuff is interesting anymore. Um, Zardes, I would look for sure. Zardes looked a step slow all night, and I just don't know whether that's not being into the system or whatever. But that 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 would be my observation on that. But I feel like you also want to say something. I think you're right that he did look like slow sometimes, but I still think he had a, a good game. Like I there's there's one particular chance where Drew UC like kind of squares a ball to him in the box. I think Kevin Morris like did a whole like Zapruder film <laughs> I, I Twitter thread on this, but his his thesis is that like either Drew UC played the ball to the wrong spot or the ball got deflected and it's not Jossie's fault, which I like in the moment even I was like, oh, Juicy played that ball wrong. Like he didn't find Zardes. I still think Jossie had a good game. I still think he should be the starter over Maxi. And like, it's easy to see like Maxi come on and be running fast and doing all this stuff. But just the way Jossie moves, the way he gets into spots, he's not as, he's not as, um, as fast as Aruti in the defensive work, but he's still willing to do the work and gets into the right spots, is willing to run. And so I just still, it's it's really frustrating to me. I think there's a lot that Jossie is doing really, really well that people aren't seeing or appreciating. And like the goals are going to come. He's going to get one. I know he is. And I still think overall, as far as what he brings in, in hold up play and kind of dropping in and combining with the midfield and his passing, he does so much more than Maxi Ruti ever did last season in all of those things that even if Jossie doesn't score a goal, like he's still bringing more to the team because Maxi wouldn't score goals for a long stretch of the time too, right? Right. Maxi scores all his goals in bunches, right? So he was like, he, was, he didn't score until April, I think, last year. And then he went on a long run and sort of the mid part of the season and like didn't almost didn't score again after that. Um, and I think the one thing everybody needs to remember is after... One, it's only three matches. Like Jossie's had three matches with this club, and Austin sitting in fourth place in the table. And it, you know, given Kip Keller making the most boneheaded play I've ever seen in my life in person, like this could this could be a seven point team. This could be a nine point team after three matches. Like, think things are pretty good. Yeah, and, and like if if you go back and watch these games, Zardes is very involved in a lot of the possession play. And if you go back and watch games from last year, there'd be very long stretches through multiple games where you almost forget Maxi Ruti is on the field even. And like the defensive work, credit to him. He did that every game no matter what. But offensively, he would just be so uninvolved at times. And I don't think you can accuse Jossie Zardes of that. He's been very involved in buildup, very involved in moving the ball around the field, very involved in stretching lines and getting into dangerous spots. It's just not, it's not culminating in a goal yet, but it will. Like all signs point to that it will. And so, yeah, I don't know. I it frustrates me that people aren't aren't seeing it, but he's playing well. I think the one valid criticism I've I've seen of Josh Wolf, like he did a lot of good things in this match. Is like I feel like Maxi probably could have come on a few minutes earlier. Like Jossie was 
very clearly gassed at like 70 minutes. yeah he did look tired i think i think that is a fair criticism is that i think the altitude got to him he did look like he was uh like chugging along a little slowly there in the second half what when when did he come off i think it was 80 81 82 okay. something like that it was yeah. really late in the match i think that's fair i think that's fair because yeah it seemed like the altitude was getting to him so uh and maxi comes on and almost scores one at the very end due to just like outpacing the back line pretty much on a, on a through ball. So, um, yeah, to your point other... of the second, it's just your point in the second half and the opportunities. There was that maxi one. Then Trusi had a header that was like a really sneaky, good opportunity. So it wasn't like awesome. It's just sitting on the back foot all the time, uh, which it seemed like originally when I watched it, that we were just trying to, trying to hang on. But back on the second watch, it's like Austin actually created a lot of opportunities in the second half. They just weren't in the ways that Austin normally does. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, like the XG, chart that mls uh mlssoccer.com posts like they had i think more xg in the second half than they did in the first half and so they were still creating chances and like i said i think that's a good thing to be able to like uh defend for your life and still be able to break forward and create chances that's good like th this is this is that plan b that austin needed and has never had they're doing it right now this is what we wanted so this is a good thing Yep, you're ready to move on to uh, to the interview. And yeah, let's do it. The next match. So um, Moedu, like U.S. soccer legend, played in in Scotland for a while, played in MLS for a while. Lots of I think forty some odd caps for the U.S. national team. Was thrilled to be able to talk to him. Him and Keith Costigan are going to be on the on the call this weekend for the game again. But I I started Jeremiah was still at Flo Rida, and so he wasn't able wasn't able to join, but. Um, we usually try to keep these interviews like pretty compact because there's a lot to talk about in the show, just focused on this preview. But Mo is just so interesting and so fun to talk to, and he kept bringing up points that I wanted to like keep digging into. Uh, it went a little long, and then we, we actually ended the interview and then started like kept talking, just kept chatting. And he was like, Actually, if you want to add this back into the podcast, you can do that too. So, we're going to include the originally intended segment of the interview and then we're going to like in the show and then there's some other bits i'm going to tag on in the end if you're uh, we don't want to stretch on too long for those of you who are used to the show being a certain length uh but there's going to be some like bonus content with mo at the end of the show if for those who want to hear it and i thought it was in interesting commentary on on austin fc so uh that'll be there for you if you want it but we'll we'll take a quick break and we'll come right back with our our, our sorry our houston dynamo preview with marie sedu All right, we are thrilled to be joined by uh, U.S. national team legend, European pro soccer player, Mo Edu. Mo, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on. How are you? Everything and is good? is is it okay to call you Mo? I know you're you're a a professional soccer analyst now, being advertised as Maurice, <laughs> but a lot of a lot of national team fans know you as Mo. Is which do you prefer these days? I prefer Mo. I mean, if you call me Maurice, I feel like you're you're my mom or something like that. I'm in <laughs> so the preference is Mo. If you call me Maurice, then I, it kind of catches me off guard and I kind of sit up straight a little bit. So <laughs> you can go with Mo for sure. So we had your broadcast partner, Keith Costigan, last weekend 
um, and he was great. Like he, it seems like you guys go back a while and, and have known each other. How is that partnership going and how's the new Apple TV deal going? Oh, I absolutely hate it. I hate working with Keith. He's so <laughs> Uh, Keith is my guy. Um, yeah, we actually do go back a decent a decent amount of time. When I, when I retired back in 2018 and I started getting into this space, um, there wasn't like a consistent uh, partner that I was working with. I, I was being rotated in with different people. But the one person that I ended up working out or working with quite a bit was Keith. So we got to know each other really well, built a good kind of chemistry um, and then just had a I don't know, scattered amount of gains over the past few years, but it's someone that I've always been, you know, good friends with. So it, it, it worked out well that um, he's the one that I ended up being partnered with. And I hope it comes across the way that we intended to come across where it's, you know, very serious in terms of trying to break down the game in the right way, but then also at the same time, enjoying the moment, right. Being at the game and and living every action, every play in real time and trying to convey not only our thoughts, but our personalities and how we enjoy a game and how we break down a game. Um, hopefully that comes across on the airways. Yeah. Last week, Keith actually joined us from his car driving home from calling Austin's CCL game. And so he was a champ for doing that. But then we got to listen to you guys on Austin's game this last weekend against RSL. And I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. thought you guys did a great job. So happy to have you guys on the call again this week. Um, looking forward to the Houston Dynamo. So the, the history between Austin and Houston, Austin, it looks like Austin's won four of the last uh, four of the five total uh, matchups between these two games. Houston generally has uh, a home field advantage with the heat. I'm like, I, I know that sounds crazy coming from Austin, but even going from Austin to Houston, the, the, the humidity is something that is actually like, a difference maker going from here to there, but it's going to be in the fifties this weekend. So that, that advantage is kind of uh, out the door this weekend and looking at Houston this season so far, they've lost their first two games by a combined score of five to one. Um, and then we're off this last weekend. So they'll be well rested going into this one, but how, how have you, how do you see Houston this year? Like what are your expectations for them? How, how have you seen what they've done so far? Well, I think in a weird way, right, because you start off a season and normally you want to play games back to back to back. You want to get into a rhythm and you want to build from performance to performance. But as you just said, the way they start off this season um, with some change, first and foremost, you know, you bring in a new manager that that initially takes some time for him to kind of establish how he wants his team to play and um, instill the culture and all of his ideas. But with that, like I just like I was mentioning before, and you just said when you when you lose your first two games, the break kind of comes at a good time for them. Give them a chance to kind of recalibrate, get things in back in order, have a chance to maybe get their legs back under them, have a chance for the manager to go ahead and instill again the thoughts that he had in preseason, what he wants, what his expectations are from this team, what he wants to see from this team, what he wants them to look like. Um, a chance to kind of get that back in order. And then the fact that it's a home match, you're talking about the about the weather conditions, that's out the window, but it's still a home match. So they'll need to lean into that, try to fill, build off the energy of the crowd. And it's a it's a Texas Derby, right? So that all obviously just instilled its own levels of motivation for, for both sides. Yeah, so they did bring in some reinforcements uh, in the off season, but 
most of those guys are not able to play yet, either waiting on immigration status updates or recovering from injuries. And so the team that they've actually fielded the last couple of games is not super different from what they were running out at the end of last year, which got them, I think, second to last in the West or last in the West. I can't remember exactly, but not great. Um, I remember last year, I think it might have been Hector Herrera's second game playing with the team. He came on the field at halftime in Austin and the team got worse. Uh, I was sitting there watching that game thinking like, okay, like Coco Carasquilla, one of their other midfielders, a player I like, I really like watching him play. He's a really good player. And he was doing some dangerous things. And I was thinking like, okay, they're going to bring on Hector Herrera and Herrera and Carasquilla might be able to do something against us. And then they ended up subbing Herrera for Carasquilla and took, took off their most dangerous threat and put on a guy who just ended up not doing anything. I know a lot of people have said like this season for Houston will not entirely, but partially depend on is Herrera bought in? Is he going to actually affect this team this season? Um, I know, I don't know how much you've gotten to see them this year. Like, do you think he's doing that yet? Or do you think he will be able to do that for them this year? I think he has to, I I definitely agree that he has to be a big player for them to have success. Um, I mean, we know the pedigree that he has. It's just about him finding how he best can, uh, can, can use his qualities to make this team better. It's an interesting midfield trio that they have though. Um, himself, Karaskia, and and uh, who's the other one? Artur, right? There are yeah. three players that I, I look at it and I think are very similar um, in in terms of how they play. I think Karaskia will be the one that plays a little bit more advanced, and her will him and Artur will be the ones sitting deeper and trying to dictate the flow and and link passes. But I, to me, there are three three players that are very very similar. So trying to figure out that balance as to how you get the best out of them in some ways i think you play two out of the three and you bring in another attacking midfielder you you let those two play as either a double six or a six and an eight and then you have an attacking midfielder who's in front of whoever the, those two players are someone who's a more of a goal threat someone who's always forward yeah thinking, someone who's going to take chances in the final third and be that creative player so as much as i'm saying a lot of it will be Will will be put on the shoulders of Herrera. I think part of that comes from again his profile, his pedigree, his experience. They they need all that to come to the forefront. But I'll be curious to see how long that trio continues to play together, and if it ends up meshing well and and producing what um, what they're hoping will will be the outcome. Yeah, it, it's a tough puzzle for them to solve because it looks like in what little I've seen just highlights in a few clips, it looks like they are playing Artur and Herrera deeper and almost like a double pivot look. And then Karaskia is almost like a 10 in a four, two, three, one, which I think yeah. a lot of what Karaskia did last year that was so dangerous was starting deeper and turning and using like dynamism to drive forward and kind of carry the ball forward and progress the ball. And if he's playing a little farther forward, I could see how maybe it's less effective in that way. And so it'll be interesting to see how they solve that puzzle. And then if, if it's not working with those three, who do you drop? Because like those three guys, you would think any of the three of them could start for a lot of MLS teams. And so, yeah, it's, it's a complicated and that, thing. For and them that might be out. the problem. That might be the issue in itself, right? Because as you just said, all three of them are players that you can, and most teams you could plug in and they'd be a starter. And so that might be part of the reason why you're seeing all three of them play it 
the other part is you as you kick things off you're talking about some of the players not being available as of yet and that might be another reason why you're seeing the three of them playing together but I just look at them and you know without being disrespectful I see duplicates I see a similar player who brings a similar skill set if you if you play Artur and Herrera deep I think you're going to get a similar kind of output as if you played Karaskia and one of the other two deeper um I think the one thing that I will say about and that's probably why he's playing a little bit more advanced is I see him as being the more kind of eight. If you're playing a four, two, three, one, uh, and you're playing with two deeper, I see him as being the one that has a little bit more freedom to get forward. But again, I think I agree with you. I think he's best when he's starting from deeper. When you see him play for, for Panama more times than not, it's, it's usually as like a number eight where he can be the one who's breaking forward, getting into the box late, um, linking play, but having that ability to start from a, from a deeper position. I, so real quickly, I remember in my playing days, there was on very few occasions when I had to play a little bit more advanced as like a number 10 per se. And it's just a different ask, right? Um, when you're playing deeper, you're receiving the ball more times than not. And there's so much of the field in front of you. You can play it into your number 10, get it again. Whereas when you're that that more advanced one, sometimes you're playing with your back to goal. Um, you're playing on a half turn is how you usually should be playing. But just the ask and the responsibility, the requirements, how we will evaluate you from, from the media side of things is a completely different. And in some ways it might be unfair to the player because we might see him, he's playing a number 10. Well, if he's not creating goals, he's not scoring goals. My criticism is going to be a lot harsher. Whereas if he's playing a number eight and doing the things that he's doing from that number 10 position, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so looking at Austin, I'm not sure how much of Austin you've gotten to see this year, but uh, they've been playing two young midfielders together in almost a double pivot with Danny Prayer and Owen Wolf. Owen, we'll talk about this in the other segment on the show, but Owen, I think, had a breakout game against RSL. He's had moments, but in that game, I thought he just played a really complete game top to bottom. What have you seen from that midfield and from Austin FC? And like, what do you think they need to do against Houston to come away with with three points this weekend? Um. What do you want me to start? You want me to start with Owen? You want me to start with the midfield in general? Yeah, the midfield in general. Yeah, I, I actually like the balance. I, you know, it's two young players. Um, I think obviously Owen Wolf stole the headlines in that game when when me and Keith were talking about it actually, and he asked me on the spot like who I thought was man of the match. It was really close. It was a really really close decision for me. I actually leaned towards um, John Gallagher, um, but it was honestly it was a coin toss between him and, and Owen Wolf. I think. And then off air, when we were just continuing, just having conversations about what that game was like and players that stood out, of course, Owen stole most of our conversation. And the way that I described it, because I think a lot of people will say, when you usually when you talk about a young player, for for lack of better description, people will always say like, oh, he didn't he didn't look out of place. And I think that that's doing him a disservice. I thought he bossed the midfield. Right. I don't, if so, to me, it wasn't him not looking at a place and he just fit in. No, I think he he bossed the midfield. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's of course, the goal is a quality goal. And and there's so many small details on that goal that that make it a beautiful goal. I thought the build up to the play first and foremost. But then there's just even small things that he did that sometimes go unnoticed, you know, and it, they're so subtle, but they go a long way. So before he receives that ball, he has a look over his shoulder. And it's such a it's such a small detail, but you look over your shoulder and now you see that there's space there. He receives that ball in a half turn and he's off to the races. Right. If he never has that look, he might 
he might have just received that ball with his back to goal, played it safe, and then looked to get it back, right? So small details. But I thought that the midfield was – they looked like they had a clear understanding of what the game plan was, first and foremost. I thought they worked well collectively. Um, I thought they had a good balance between the two of them. They had a good hunger for the game, a good appetite. They won challenges. They won duels. And they made the plays that they needed to make. So what I mean by that is when they needed to, to advance forward – Oh, when, when he uh, his goal, right? That's a play he needs to make because that's what the game was dictating. Other times, maybe it's you just receiving that ball and play it in, playing it into a Driussi who's in that spot and he's doing that. But they did what the game needed and and asked for. So for young players, especially, I think that's incredibly important and it goes a long way for your confidence. But I thought they looked good. I thought they, I thought collectively the whole team they managed the game well. Um, I thought it was a poor goal to concede on the on the corner kick. Didn't do a good job of closing down uh, Andrew Brody before he, ser- he serves the ball in. And then the scrumble in the box. I think you got to win your individual duels. But the response, the response is always key. And with all the storylines coming into the game, the disappointment in midweek, the rotation of players, um, you know, the game against St. Louis, they I thought probably could have gone either way. You know, unfortunate the goals that they conceded. So having all that in your mind to have the performance to come on the road and play against Salt Lake, which is not an easy place to play, get the results you did. And again, I thought that they managed the game really well in the second half. Um, They weren't as, I would say, expansive, but I thought they were calculated when they did, when they did open up, you know, they, they knew that they just had to manage that game and be smart in the way that they took their chances. They, they were calculated when they took risk. And ultimately I thought that they deserved the three points. So another player who I thought played really well in this game was Danny Pereira. In the last couple of years, this is his third season as a pro. It's always been very clear that his ability to carry the ball has been, I think, early on above average. And I think at this point in MLS is elite. Like his ability to just like carry the ball past a line and and make the, de- the defense start to scramble. Where he's lacked, I think, the last couple of seasons, especially last year, as he was playing a lot as a lone six and didn't really have that partner next to him was defensively being able to cover ground and win balls the way that you need to in that position. He's getting a little help from Owen dropping back next to him and having some support there. But Danny Pereira looks like he's embraced the role of a defensive midfielder. I know you played in that part of the field a lot. Like what is is that strictly a mentality thing or is it a combination of mentality and physicality of, of being able to not just be an offensive threat, but to cover that ground defensively and, and be an asset defensively to your team as well? It's a little bit of all that, to be honest with you. Um, I think it starts first with just having a good understanding of how your team wants to play. Right, If you're playing as a single number six compared to if you're playing in a dual six or dual eight, it's a lot. It's the responsibility and the ask is different. Um, so when he's playing now and he has he has Owen Wolf next to him, they're playing off one another. So there's going to be moments when Danny has a chance to advance forward, and that means Owen has to be more disciplined. And there's going to be opportunities and and vice versa where they have to just be a good double pivot, read the game well, be connected, be communicating a lot. I think what you're seeing though is just is an evolution, right? As you play more games, you get more seasoned. As you have the chance to apply new things. You're taking on more information from your coaches. You're looking at tape. You're watching yourself back. I think that's a key thing for young players. And there's a lot more emphasis on it now is to really 
watch yourself, right? Like we, you'll get feedback from your coaches and sometimes you just go and try to apply that directly. But when you see it physically, when you walk off the pitch, you have a feeling of what you played, of how you played and what that looked like. But it's not always accurate. It's not always accurate how you feel compared to what it looks like. So when you actually go back and look and watch yourself play, which I'm sure he's done numerous times, you can see now what the coach is saying and how that how you can change as a player, how you can improve as a player. So to your question directly, I think I think everything that you mentioned from a mentality standpoint, you have to be bought in. You have to recognize that if your team's going to be successful and you're playing in that part of the pitch, which I think is the most important, I might be biased, who knows? I think that's the most important part of the pitch. You can dictate the tempo of the game. You can set the tone of the of the game. You have a lot of responsibility. And I think he's embracing that now. He's recognizing how he can steer this team in the right direction. And part of that starts to evolve into you becoming more of a leader. And that leadership shows through your play. Oh, well, thanks so much for that insight. I wish I could sit here and talk to you and ask you questions like that for another hour, but we have a lot to cover <laughs> on this show with two games this week, including a, a really wild CCL match with a lot of uh, a lot of interesting storylines connected to it. So um, yeah. I'll just ask, do you have any other final thoughts on this Houston-Austin matchup this weekend? I think, I mean, for both sides, I think it's a big game. I think from from Austin's standpoint, it'll be coming off the back of another CCL game, right? So it's it's about, we saw the reaction and the response that they got after losing in midweek. Now you're hoping that the result is different this time around. And so it's it's about building momentum, right? You've had a couple positive results now in the league. And to be fair, like I said, the game against St. Louis, I don't think that they played horrible. It's just a couple mistakes that that turned that game around for them. So it's you want to get I know it's still early in the season, but as if you can build momentum and start clicking and everyone being bought in and on the same page, I think that goes a long way. Um, I'm hoping for Jossie to get his first goal relatively soon because I'm I'm excited to see what that partnership of himself and Driussi can look like. You know, this is a guy who's a proven goal scorer in this league, sitting on 97 career goals. And then Driussi, we saw what he brings to 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 this team, to this league. Uh, if you're a neutral fan, you just fell in love with watching this guy play. And obviously, if you're an Austin fan, you're you're trying to get him signed up for a 20 year deal. Right. Because he's just he's class. And so I'm excited to see what that partnership looks like when they have some more game time together. They start to learn each other's tendencies a little bit more and they get on the same page, because I think that that can be really, really, really fruitful for this Austin team. I okay. I know I said we were gonna. I was gonna let you go, but that's you brought up a point. I want. I wanted to ask you about. So, I've seen a lot of or heard a lot of people say that like those two aren't being on the same page. Do you think they are on different pages? Like, do you did you see misconnections happening, or do you think it's just a product of how Austin is playing that those two aren't necessarily going to link up that much? No, I, I, there's just. I mean, there's certain moments, you know, where. Uh, for example, there was a moment like in transition. I think part of that, though, is also, and I don't think we mentioned it even enough, probably um, on the broadcast, the the influence of like playing at altitude. And so in these dying minutes and you're in a transition moment, sometimes you can't get on the end of the pass or you're looking for the ball in a certain position and it's played in a different position. Right. And so that's where I'm saying that as they start to learn each other's tendencies a little bit more, because um, there's certain things that when you play with the player, two years, three years, maybe just even a season, you 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 just start to, you do things without even thinking about them. I receive the ball and I know, okay, Jossie's making that run. I can play it blindly. Yeah. Or 
Jossie knows, okay, he's going to receive the ball right here on the half turn. I know to make this run, you know, or I know to drop deep. He wants to make a run behind. Just small little things that as a number 10, as a striker are important because you hope that they're connecting consistently and often. So that's why I say just over the course of a season, these are two players that I trust, you know, that I've had in a small spell in a small sample size, Drewsi, he's shown that he can be quality in this league. And then Jossie over a larger um, amount of time in this league has shown that he's a proven goal scorer. So it's just a matter of just getting them just more game time. I think that's all it is more game time. You have a manager in Josh Wolf who worked with Jossie. So he knows him as a player. I don't think he would have brought him to this club if he didn't think that he would fit in well and gel with the players around him first and foremost, but then also the system and have the quality to, to be able to add to this group as well. Yeah, they're they're both really high IQ players, so you, you'd think they will be able to figure it out at some point. Um, well, yeah, thanks so much for all that insight, Mo. I really appreciate it. I, you and Keith did a great job. Y'all be on the call for uh, MLS Season Pass on Apple TV this coming Saturday once again. Um, I think there's there's like some certain kind of insight that a former player is able to give on a broadcast, but not all former players are able to give it eloquently on a broadcast. And I think you do a great job of that. So I really appreciate your work and uh, yeah, thanks for doing it. No, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you having me on and look forward to the next one. All right. Thanks. Mo. All right. We want to thank Melissa Ju one more time for coming on the show. Um, Quick reminder to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at Hero 87 and jbentley underscore ATX, and then at Moontower Soccer on Twitter, Instagram, and then Moontower Soccer on YouTube, where I believe we'll be posting the, the video uh, version of the interview with Marisa Du. As always, you can also sign up for and support us on Patreon and then visit the Striker website where you can get a 30% discount with the code MOONTOWER23 with a capital M. Jeremiah, what can folks look out for there? I think just check out Phil West's article on the victory over RSL. The subhead reminds me of something I forgot to mention during the main part of the show is that Austin got its first road win in eight months. Oh, wow. This match. Yeah. It's the first. Well, I mean, some of those months that were not games. So maybe yeah. it's like a little bit overdramatic, but it's the first, I think maybe since... July. That was Austin's first road win. So it's been a long time. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will we'll review the Houston Dynamo match, depending on how the CCL match goes uh, and like how much we think there will be a demand for a bonus episode. We might do a second episode this week to cover just that game, but we'll see. If nothing else, we'll have another one next Tuesday. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah. Should, should be an interesting game nonetheless. So hoping for a lot of goals tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, likewise. Like that's what I'm saying. I hope jo- I hope Jossie gets his first one, gets a couple of them that game, you know, and then that goes a long, yeah. long way. Man, I think Jossie's actually been playing fairly well. There's, I think this is whole this is Jossie's whole career, right? Like people don't understand the things that he does well that don't necessarily end up in goals, and they say like, "Oh, he's not very good. He's not playing well." It's actually, I think he's doing great. Like 
it's like one of the things and I, you can you know what you can clip this and use it in the in the on the on the podcast if you want one of the things that is such an underrated quality of Jossie is his willingness to do the dirty work right and that's on both sides of the ball that I'm talking about to do to to make the runs for plays that look like they're dead um I think you described both of them really well when you said they have a good soccer IQ because I think people really sleep on how clever Jossie is um with with his timing with the runs that he makes with the timing of the run that, that he makes because that that opens up so much more for if you're number 10 if you're a winger it opens up first it opens up opportunities for you to play balls into him but then it also opens up space for you to attack you know and I agree with you I don't when I said that I hope that they get on the same page, look, that starts to gel more. It wasn't a knock to either of them because I think that I agree with you. I think Jossie's been playing well, and I, I'm fully confident the goals are going to come. But I just think when that marriage, right, when yeah, right now they're they're still kind of they're dating right now. You know, they're flirting with each other, <laughs> and it's and it and it's looking good. But when they're fun, when that marriage actually happens, I think this can be a dynamic duel in this league. Yeah, there's, Maxi Ruti has come on and and been good in his sub minutes. And there's a lot of Austin fans who are saying like, "Oh, Maxi should start. Maxi should start." And it's like, yeah. y'all aren't y'all aren't paying attention, man. Like, Jossie's doing well. It's gonna come. Like, the goals are gonna come. Yeah. No, I and I get it's hard to. Of course, you hear that argument because he's coming on and scoring a goal, and it's like that's how yeah. people assess and yeah. strikers, especially not. If you're not watching the game through the same lens that we're watching it, right, where you're appreciative of of the small details of the things that are happening that aren't being shown on the actual screen. Like if you're in the stadium and you see certain things that the screen at home is showing you this, they're showing you the ball plus this, right? The game is, well, you can't even see it, but the game is yeah. that, right? And so there's certain <laughs> things that he's doing that they can't appreciate because they're not seeing it. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the goal that he scored, who was it against? And they called it back for outside. Thought he took that really well. Um, yeah, it's Montreal. I so think. yeah, I'm not, yeah. So I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you go. I've kept you long enough. Thanks a lot, Mo. <laughs> no worries, man. Appreciate it.